Hello and welcome to this not penultimate, sesquipenultimate episode of A Muggle's Perspective. Uh, we're coming at you live here from the Mara Mansion in uh, northern Warsaw, Indiana. I am joined today by producer Jeremy, first time, long time. Uh, we've got uh, some background noise going on from everyone's wives, and that includes Hannah, because wouldn't you know it, Braden's here in person. Braden, how the heck are you? Good, doing good, enjoying some good old-fashioned Merriman hospitality. Yeah. Um, last night and all day today, we've been we've been throwing fetch with the dogs, mm. swimming, eating popcorn, mm. watching Harry Potter. Say what you will about being here, but you're always eating. Like there's always food to be eating. Oh yeah, at the Merriman's. Yeah, so. not hungry at the Merriman's. No, it's like in th- in that way, it's like being at the Burrow. It's like living with Molly Weasley. Honestly, Rachel, it is a lot like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or what I would imagine it would be like. Yeah, because we can't admit that we've had we've gotten that actual experience right. now. We got to save that for later in the pod. That's a tease. <laughs> That's what we call in the biz a tease, ladies and germs. So we are here today to discuss the recent viewing that we did of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two, the film. Uh, it was a movie about the second half of the seventh book. So uh, we can also get some epilogue talk in here. Braden read the epilogue for the first time. It's kind of a little refresh. Just kind of get him back in. Um, it had been a long summer. We hadn't been, we hadn't potted in a little bit. So Braden's back on the horse. Yeah. Read the epilogue right before we hit the road to come up north. And um, it made my heart happy and warm. Like the contents of the epilogue did or just like, wow, I'm reading Harry Potter again. <laughs> um. Both the contents. Um, I was just really happy to know that Harry and Ginny end up together with mm. some kiddos and just a big happy family. It's all I really wanted out of this entire mm-hmm. series. For them to get their white picket fence and two and a half kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad too. That is good. I guess it's not the American dream because they're they're British, but it's a dream. It's dreamy. It's an Anglican dream. <laughs> Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about the movie. Um, I've got a couple of prompts because you know, for the life of us, despite being eight movies in, we've never had a consistent like. This is how we talk about the movie. Is like sometimes we just sometimes we just kind of kick it. That's not what the people want. No, the people have been clear in saying that they want it to be slightly different every time. Yeah, they said more inconsistency. They said we've been too consistent. Really. Chad is just beating down our doors, yelling at us whenever we do the same thing twice. And we appreciate it. We've heard you. Um, and so we're, that's why we're coming at you today the way we are. Uh, question one, pretty simple. What's the vibe? What Did you like the movie? Was it good, bad? Where was it relative to expectations? I really liked the movie. Okay. Um, we kind of started to get into right after the movie how it's not your favorite. It's not. And you've got some pretty strong feelings about it. I've, I feel be, it's... It's good. This is a good, like, almost last thing for us to be doing because it's like it's my beef now. Yeah. It's Rogie's beef. Yeah. I'm happy to share the beef with you. Um, I liked it. I thought, like, um, in terms of um, 
production, cinematography, all that, like, I had no qualms with acting, sound, color. Like, some of the movies have just been way too dark, you know, for my likings. Like, <laughs> yeah. we literally had to adjust our TVs. Like, yeah. didn't have to mess with that. Yeah, visually, definitely appealing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the the CGI was was the best it's been in the series, obviously being the, the most recent. You like um, that one there where Harry's face and Voldemort's face became one? Yeah, they split a that face. was wild. The one thing I will pick on from a CGI standpoint, mm-hmm. the brooms, the broom flying. The brooms were like three times as thick as yeah. the brooms that they'd been flying to that point, right? Yeah. And I'm not sure how you could make it better or if you could make it better, but I just, that scene where they're flying out of the, uh, is it the room of requirement? Mm. And everything's on fire. That was the only time that I noticed, like, oh, that's not that good. That what did you think? What did you think about the giants? There were a couple times when a giant was holding a big something and was being hacked at by like suits of armor and mm-hmm. gargoyles. That I didn't think that the giants themselves looked awesome. I was okay with the giants. Okay. Um, the gargoyles, I didn't understand. I don't remember that from the book at all. No, it's not. Um, it's not in the book. And well, it is. No, that's not, it is in the book. Let me. You keep talking, and I'll I'll pull it up. I've got the book right around here. Like, so, you know, we always kind of end up talking about how in the world of magic, there's just ridiculous stuff, right? And mm-hmm. I've had to kind of just adjust to that. The the gargoyle guys that like McGonagall just snaps her fingers and they just drop from the top of the castle mm-hmm. or something that felt a little cheap to me. I didn't love that. So I think, I think it does happen in the book. It, it's not specifically like the gargoyles so much. It, okay, Cause I think at one point Harry says like he heard what sounded like every um, suit of armor in the castle get up to move. And it was almost like the castle ground. The castle itself was fighting back, and it was great. Okay, I've got to be right around it. Um, yeah, I think that was in there, but I get what you're saying. I mean, like, the magic stuff can be pretty – it can be a lot. But on the other side of it, like, when they started um, doing all the enchantments and spells to, like, protect the castle, and you kind of had that, like, blue orb mm-hmm. around it, like – I thought that was really good. Mm-hmm. I thought that was represented well visually. Yeah, it was a good visualization for what's happening because it's yeah. hard to show like that invisible defensive yeah. magic is being put up. I thought the dragon scene was done mm-hmm. really well. Oh, I like that. I like the whole Gringotts thing, really. Yeah, Gringotts was done really mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, even like their switch from... Because in the book, I think everything in there like turns like white hot. Yes, it right? gets so hot. Mm-hmm. And instead in there, it's like everything multiplies. So in the book, it does both. Oh, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I remember from the movie. Oh, in yeah. the book, it does in the both. Book, in the movie, in the book, they're, they're just being like crushed by. Yes, correct. In the book, they're being crushed by multiplying and white hot yeah. pieces of gold and silver and stuff. Yeah. But it's just the quantity that changes in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's not a big, I mean. So yeah, overall, I liked it. Mm-hmm. I, I was very, I was entertained from mm-hmm. start to finish. I felt like, um. The dialogue was good. I've I've felt in past movies at times like it was hard to follow along with some of the dialogue. Sure. Like it was either, you know, everything's super loud and then the dialogue's super quiet and you mm-hmm. kind of have to be messing with the volume back and forth. Um, I didn't really feel that with this one. Okay. 
Um, so from an entertainment perspective, you were entertained like it was a good just popcorn eating, like sit down and watch almost like an action-y movie. Yeah, I thought like you, it's hard to do a final movie well or like mm-hmm. a final episode of a series well. Sure. Um, that's part of why I love The Office. Mm-hmm. I feel like Parks and Rec ended well. Um, there's other shows like I don't, it's hard to do. Either you string it out way too long or you right. cut it off short too early and don't do it well. And so that was kind of, I felt like I had some pressure built up on this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the way it ended. They took some artistic liberties. We'll yeah. talk about that. Coming yeah, up. I was going to kind of ask but, like how you felt it did, you know, ap- apart from how entertaining it was, like, was it a good representation of what happened in the book? Like, do you feel like it did justice to the events of the book? And like the the meaning and the spirit and like the, yeah. you know, like almost philosophical points that are trying to be made in the book. Yeah. I don't think anything that they changed or added on to or took away from. Okay. I don't think anything subtracted from. Yeah. Like those, the message, the message of the book. Okay. Um, I did feel like there were things that like, you know, we talked about, and I think it got put on Instagram, like, there were some details left out at different times that, like, if you weren't, if you hadn't been reading the books, and you hadn't been talking about it recently, mm-hmm. like, you know, the like, particularly the scene with um, Aberforth, Aberforth mm-hmm. like, there was so much detail that they just zoomed through yeah. or left out. What would you say the message of the movie was? Like, if you had to, like, explain to someone, like, but, you know, if people talk about Fast and Furious, it's, about, it's all about family and, like, <laughs> or whatever. Like, do you have a takeaway like that? Like, either, either from the series as a whole in terms of the movies or, like, this movie, it's, like, it really wanted to emphasize that you can do anything you set your mind to, you know, good triumphs over evil. Did it have a message or was it just, like, magic is magic? <laughs> Um, no, I think, I think the message probably is something surrounding like unselfishness and love Mm -hmm. defeats selfishness and greed and hate and hate every time. And that comes across just from, just as a movie watcher as opposed to like someone that's also read the books. Yeah, I think, I think so. Like the, the whole last, like. 20 minutes of the movie where Harry's dealing with the fact that he is going to have to basically sacrifice himself mm-hmm. for the good of the wizarding world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to add on top of that, you, you get to dig into Snape's story and how he kind of did the same thing. Yeah. Um, I felt like that point was driven home. And then we, we had that same point leading up in part one with Dumbledore, right? Like mm-hmm. Dumbledore's kind of, he knew what was coming too, and he directed Snape to be the one to kill him. And yeah, and that's the Dumbledore stuff. Definitely, we'll get into um, again. So, I mean, it, yeah, it's good to hear. You know, it's, I, I'm glad to know that it comes across because it's it's really hard for me to just watch these movies like from an entertainment value perspective because I'm always like, um, on this page, actually, like this is Hermione's line, not that one. You know, so I have a tough time stepping back and seeing the forest for the trees, right? That's a phrase. So you would you would prefer they stick to, I mean, word-for-word word script of the, the movie, or the book, I'm sorry. Um, 
you know, we've, I think we've had this conversation before. Like, obviously I understand that you can't like for just from a time perspective, like, I mean, would, would, would I prefer that it was a mini series and they would just go page by page through the book? Yes, (laughs) but it's not a mini series. It's a movie. So I get that. Um, there are, there are sometimes like changes in dialogue. That's like, it was, it was already written. Like, it's fine. Like you can just leave that. Or like you said, the Aberforth thing or the, King's Cross chapter. The King's Cross chapter is like a really weighty chapter in the book in terms of like the meaning of all of these books. Like like there's a lot of plot stuff that happens in there and is explained in there that has ramifications not only for these books but for the freaking Fantastic Beast movies. Like really just getting into Dumbledore and, and we just we didn't get any of that. Dumbledore was like, Well, trains can carry one into the beyond, Harry. So you can be dead or not. And we didn't talk at all about what his motivations were and how he felt about his childhood and those kinds of things, which are, which are all hit in the book. So it's, it's things like that. And I guess you're just saying, hey, we take it out because it's a Harry movie, not a Dumbledore movie, and we ain't got time for this. Um, but they, it takes away some of the depth to me, for me of what I'm getting in the book is like really getting to know you know, three-dimensionally ten characters as opposed to three of them or whatever. Also, I said, like, not a lot of Ron in this movie. Not much Ron. Not much Ron, really, or Hermione. Mm-mm. Um, I felt like you were disappointed by the Battle of Hogwarts scene. I was, yeah. And so we'll get... I mean, we can just kind of transition to that. I have my list of key differences. I tried to pick out the six... <laughs> And and these have subpoints. Let's be clear. The six like broad things that were that could be argued would would be the biggest difference um, between the movie and the book. And so I just sort of wanted to go through. I mean, it's not all about you know everyone knows what the fa- how the fandom feels about some of these things. So it's not necessarily about my opinion on them. I mean, which we can touch on, but it's more about from your perspective, right? That's what everyone wants to hear from your perspective. Were these differences meaningful? Did they detract in any way? Now that you think about it, oh, it would have been good to have this. Um, or was it fine to lose it, basically? So I kind of, I tried to go chronologically, like, through the movie. First, the first noticeable difference that I see, I mean, you can talk about Dean not being a shell cottage or whatever, but um, when Harry asks Ollivander about the Deathly Hallows, he's like, oh, you mean the Deathly Hallows? Yeah, you got your resurrection stone, you got your invisibility. In the, in the book, Ollivander's like, I don't know what those words are. Like, what is that, Deathly Hallows? So... It was in the book. It's supposed to like indicate that Voldemort doesn't know that it's part of the Hallows trilogy. He just knows about the Elder Wand. Um, he, you know, Ollivander didn't even subscribe to this, so it shows like how niche of a belief system it is that people people actually take the Deathly Hallows stuff seriously. I'm assuming that you did not think that this was a meaningful difference. Was it just to remind us what the Hallows are? Like, I, that's how I felt it was. Okay. Yeah, I. I felt like there it, it would have added probably again in terms of time and then content you'd have to fill. It probably would have added too much. Okay. Had you built in the other piece of the storyline that like maybe Voldemort doesn't even know mm-hmm. about the other two pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like if he doesn't know about it, then like we just don't even need to address it. Like let's just not let's just kind of gl- I feel like the Deathly Hallows stuff gets glossed over a little bit in this movie. It does. Um which yeah. is which can be fine. I mean, I know the directors and the screenwriters and stuff have all said, like, we had to decide a couple movies ago, these are the Harry Potter movies. 
So storylines that aren't really pretty mainline Harry specific, they're just going to get pruned. So I guess on that subject, I don't, did we ever really deal with the resurrection stone? What do you mean? Like in the movie or the book? In the movie. Well, both. I don't really remember us doing anything with it. Um, So he turned, I mean, he brings back his mom and dad and Sirius and Lupin. Oh, so that scene at the end was with the resurrection stone? That little like eight-sided die looking black thing that he got out of the snitch. Okay. That was the resurrection stone. So I think that. Cooper was freaking out at sure. that point. So that may have been, be the whole movie for yeah. those of you listening. We'll peek yeah. behind the curtains about how often Cooper and George were freaking out. Yeah. Cooper wasn't great during the movie. Um, okay. So I do remember him opening the snitch. I guess I didn't realize at that time that that was a stone. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that was in there. So yeah, I mean, that's inside what I'm the snitch that Dumbledore gave him mm-hmm. was the resurrection mm-hmm. stone. When did Dumbledore obtain that? Um, he got the resurrection stone out of the ring that he got from the Gaunt house. So in the sixth book, remember we had the flashbacks and we were going back and we were talking to freaking Voldemort's mom and grandpa and stuff. One of the things that Harry remembers later seeing is that that ring, the Slytherin's ring that um, Marvolo is wearing has the Deathly Hallows symbol, like triangle and circle mm. and stuff in it. Um, so that's why Dumbledore, when he got this memory from Bob Ogden, and he goes, he finds the ring, and then he ends up just he ends up breaking it with the sword to destroy the Horcrux, you know. But he remember how his hand gets damaged, like blackened and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's because he he was like, oh, dip. That's the Resurrection Stone. I'll put on the ring. And get this figured out. Like I can do, I can resurrection stone it. Talk to Ariana. Talk to his parents or whatever. Um, so he recognized it as a hallow at that time. So then he breaks the ring with the sword and sticks the stone piece of it into a snitch to give to Harry later. So is that why his hand was withering and, and blackened? He, yeah. Was that's from destroying this the stone? No, it's from trying to put the ring on. Oh. Because he just got it, and he was so he, he he kind of forgot about the fact that it was a Horcrux there for a second, and just stuck it on because he was so excited about it being a Hallow. And then Snape is like, "Yeah, why the frick did you put like you stole a ring from Voldemort? Like you didn't think there was going to be a curse on it? Like if you'd called me earlier, like we could have gotten this figured out." He's like, "Why did you just put it on?" And Dumbledore's like, "Oh, just I got overexcited about it." And so that's like some more dialogue that could have been in the Prince's Tale. Yeah. Um, flashback stuff. Yeah, that we were just moving more quickly than that. But if that happens, that conversation takes place in the book. Yeah, got it. <laughs> so yeah, all of that to say, yeah, we agree. The Hallows got glossed over a little bit. Hallows got glossed yeah. over, but we don't feel like we lost a ton of meat in that process. No, I mean, I've complained about previous movies about taking things out that I felt like did detract from the sure. story and. They took stuff out of this that would have been helpful, mm-hmm. but I I don't think, I mean, if you've got to cut something, I, I was okay with, I would agree with you, and we, we can get, wait, save it for the, the battle point, mm-hmm. but the the whole battle stuff, it wasn't insignificant, but I don't know. I think I would have liked more camera time on the ground with what was happening yeah. throughout the castle. Yes, for sure. And you feel that way in the book, too. But the book is more like, you know what's happening all around Harry, but you do have to follow Harry around. Yeah. 
and here you just you don't get as much dueling. You don't. You just don't. Yeah. You don't get Trelawney throwing freaking crystal balls at people and like some of the fun different ways, like Neville tossing plants. Like, when was the last time we talked about how Neville was good at herbology in the fourth book with yeah, Gillyweed? I really thought that was gonna outside of the Gillyweed stuff. Yeah. I really thought that was gonna play a bigger part. Yeah. In the end, and but I also thought Neville was gonna end up evil. So <laughs> yeah, I was really wrong. You were. He ended up being pretty good. Um, my second key difference, and we've touched on this already, the Dumbledore plot line. Um, that's, I mean, that's such a driving thing in the book. Harry has these whole chapters. He's reading Rita Skeeter's book. He's yelling at Hermione about how well he was thinking these evil things when he was the same age as us and, and all those kinds of things. Do we feel like it takes away from our depth of understanding of both Dumbledore and also Harry, right? The mistrust he had of Dumbledore, but then he eventually comes back around to trust in his ultimate plan about him having to sacrifice himself and um, like the sort of 360 he does. Because in the movie, you just don't get, we don't have that conflicted, oh, you know, I am mad at him, but like- Yeah, there oh, was but, none of that. Yeah, and that's what you lose in the Aberforth conversation. Where Aberforth, Aberforth is that. And here he goes, nope, Dumbledore is Dumbledore and I trust him. Yeah. And then we just, we're done. Yeah. That yeah, because I I would have said that to me that was the most that out of these six points yeah. that would have been the one I wish they would have put more effort into. Yeah. Um. Because for me, I felt like throughout the entire series, as we started to unravel Dumbledore's past, mm-hmm. like he's such a central, like he really is trust figure, mm-hmm. and like as the reader, to I mean, you're kind of living vicariously through Harry and you, you want to be able to trust Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. So if we can't, then we got to know why. Yeah. And so, yeah, Harry's journey with trusting him and not trusting him. And, you know, and in the earlier books, like just all the faith that he has in him, Oh, nothing's going to happen to Hogwarts because Dumbledore's there. Like that stuff is central for sure. Yeah. And even in the last couple of movies, I think he'd really been, we'd been pumping up. Like we got to know Dumbledore pretty well in the sixth movie. Like, he comes and just hangs out with Harry, like, at a train station. They talk about the girl from the cafe. Like, yeah. you get some, like, character-building Dumbledore time. And then here we just... I guess I would have liked some flashback to the um, the Grindelwald days mm-hmm. and the, you know... Absolutely. M- more on Ariana and, like, what, what really was going on there? What really happened yeah. to her? Like... Yeah, and I think some of that could have that could have happened during the Aberforth conversation. That could have happened last movie when Hermione got Rita Skeeter's book because all that happens is she goes, "Oh, did you know that Voldemort or that Dumbledore and Grindelwald used to be friends?" And Harry's like, "That's weird. I recognize that face." And he realizes like that who Grindelwald was and that he stole the wand and they just use it to push that forward. So I agree with you. That could have happened a couple of different times, and it just would have brought so much depth to that character, and humanized him. Yeah, because like I said, if if you have could have happened in the King's Cross station, yeah, like when he's talking about how remorseful he is, and Harry, you're such a better man than I was. I succumbed to, you know, the lust for power back when I was a kid, even your age, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the only ball I feel like was really dropped. Yeah. Um, is the aluminum foil crinkling happening on purpose? Oh, food's done. Okay. Point three, uh, the Fred dying off screen, per, the whole Percy plot line being cut out, those worked okay for us? Yeah, I mean, I didn't... Uh, 
the Percy thing was important for me in the book. Mm-hmm. I was really glad that did get wrapped up. Mm-hmm. I didn't miss it in the movie. Yeah. We had we we there are there's a lot of Percy build up that happens in the fifth book and the sixth book and stuff, yeah. and even the fourth book that we just didn't get in the movies. So by the time you got there, like yeah. we're I, past that point. I almost expected that to get cut. Yeah. Um Is that Cooper or George? That's George. Yeah, he's really going to town. George Weasley, ladies and gentlemen. George Teasley. Hello. Um, so yeah, I was okay. good with that. We're I okay mean, with that. I felt like they they referenced it enough with the like slow motion scene of Ron breaking mm-hmm. down and like Fred's laying there. Like that was enough. You got a good Fred and George like right before the battle yeah. like moment. You almost knew in that moment. Yeah, like even if you didn't happen. know that we're not keeping both twins. Yeah, they're not both coming out. Malfoy's. They just left. We went really light on Malfoy stuff. Yeah. I really thought that was going to come to a head. Yeah. I just mean with like even his interaction with the quad squad. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't. Like look he's been this like bad guy but also kind of just dumb and a little pathetic for the last two books. Like is he going to come around like take a stand for Harry? Yeah. Like honestly in that that ending scene where um, they think Harry's dead and Voldemort kind of you know, gives his invitation like, mm-hmm. hey, mm-hmm. you know, I can either kill you or you all can come to the to the Death Eater side. Mm-hmm. And um, nobody moves. And like Malfoy's parents are like, hey, Malfoy, hey. And I, th- I really thought in my head that was going to be the moment where like there was going to be this cool scene where he like looks over and looks Harry in the eye. Or I guess Harry was still dead at this point, yeah. but he looks Hermione and Ron in the eye or something. Mm-hmm. And like goes and stands by him, or because he they just saved his life, like literally yeah. saved his life. And I guess I thought that's where things were headed with just how we kept dealing with his hesi- his internal hesitation mm-hmm. of like, mm-hmm. you know, did I make a mistake like joining and helping this side and mm-hmm. like this I'm in way over my head like mm-hmm. Voldemort's killing people left and right and I felt like he was losing steam through like the last. Yeah. It, his fear of the Voldemort yeah. stuff has really, really picked up in the sixth book, especially. Sixth so I really thought that's where we were going to get his character development wrapped up, and they just kind of left it hanging. Which, like, I guess I'm fine with. Like, that could leave the door open for more later spinoff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, number five. So the battle. At Hogwarts. Um, and this five and six are kind of the same thing because sixth is referring to the final duel specifically, like mm-hmm. the Harry Voldemort showdown. Um, Battle at Hogwarts. Um, specifically, I put down Harry not being invisible. So just the fact that as soon as Harry jumped up, everyone's like, oh, he's alive. Because in the book, there's confusion. Wait, where's Harry? Where's the body? I don't understand. Um, that's not that big. As I'm reading, I'm like, that's not big enough that's going to qualify us for anything here. No, I mean... They chose to not have him be invisible, and I think they did it the right way, if that was their decision. Like, I thought... I mean, it was kind of <laughs> comical, I guess, like, the timing of it, and Harry just, like, flops out yeah, of his like a fish. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, I mean, I didn't think it took away from anything. Okay. Uh, last thing, and so this is where I would argue that it, it does take away from the message of, like, a lot of what the book's trying to get across is this final duel. So, I mean, if, you, if you'll recall, the final duel between Harry and Voldemort is taking place in the Great Hall, fully surrounded by hundreds of people, mm-hmm. right? All the Hogwarts students, the Order of the Phoenix, the Death Eaters, the whole thing, they're all standing in a big circle watching Harry and Voldemort circle each other. And the duel is mostly them talking. 
right? It's Harry breaking down. Like, this is how the Elder Wand works. Like, they passed to Malfoy and then to me because I stole it. Um, there's a lot of Harry, like, saying, you, you need to repent. Like, show some remorse. Like, I would rather you, you know, be able to repair the Horcruxes in your soul than just have to, like, kill you. Um because he's like being a like trying to be the bigger man about the whole mm-hmm. thing, and so especially losing that, and it just became like he pushed magic at him harder, and and then Voldemort disintegrated. It takes away a lot of, I think, the maturity that you saw like in Harry's mindset and just like how he, his decision making process and what he what he deemed to be important. Um, and, I mean, you just lose that whole mess, and it just became like, yep, Harry was the strongest wizard in the end. Like, like, why did he beat yeah. Voldemort other than because Voldemort was using a wand that Harry liked, that, like, actually Harry should have owned, which we didn't even hear about till literally afterwards. Or Hermione was like, Harry, can you go back and uh, explain why that worked? Because you didn't explain it beforehand. So that's tough. Um, so I, I'm, it's hard for me. The timing also, just the 10 minutes of like, we're walking around the school. Where's Nagini? I've got a fang. Like, I don't, I didn't need that. It was like they realized they had more CGI budget. They just wanted to do a little bit more castle walls blowing up. Um, they jump off the roof. Like we've been talking about, like there's, I don't understand. Just have, have them actually talk about what's going on. Like what happens in the book instead of showing me all of that. Yeah. You could have traded those time slots for me. Yeah, I I agree um, with the dialogue piece. I wanted that, like, traditional, like, they're circling slowly, mm-hmm. kind of explaining things to each other. Mm-hmm. and um, Because, I, I don't know, I think that's something I missed out on throughout all, most of the movies that Voldemort was in. I wanted to have, I wanted him to have the stage at different times, mm-hmm. to, cause, because he's such a mysterious, like weird evil character he's a weird dude too yeah like not like besides him being evil like his mannerisms and stuff yeah i i wanted like because i enjoy that like i yeah. enjoy the johnny depp like weirdo kind of like that guy yeah. was made for that character yeah. type situation and so and i don't know what's the guy's name ray fines so i wanted i wanted more of an opportunity for ray fines to like you absolutely could have gotten it it was right the, there yeah at the end of the movie give him like a huge monologue Mm-hmm. to explain where he's been and like give him total creative freedom to like, you know, he did some of the weird hand movements that we were talking about earlier. Like just let him be a weirdo yeah. as I wanted it to be a little more creepy as yeah. Voldemort at the mm-hmm. end. Like let's wrap up his character and like get to know him fully before we kill him. Yeah. I feel like that if you do that and you have them talk about how did we get here? Why are we here? And what's going to be the deciding factor? That's, t- that's just a lot more meaningful to me. I hate I, I just hate how how he dies. Like they their lo- wands lock magic for some reason, which is just not how magic has ever worked in these books. It's not how it works in other parts of the same movie. But now, like my energy force and yours just like collide head to head, and they just, like they push back and forth on each other. Yeah. Um, there's no reason to do that. And seems kind of lazy for that final scene. Yeah. Like the producers just decided like, we just want some more cool visuals instead of, yeah, instead of the talk it out, like triumphant, you know, rhetorical moment, like in terms of rhetoric, like honestly, even the, the disintegration mm-hmm. as his mode of like, it's, it's absolutely departure. unacceptable yeah. because the whole point of the whole books, like of all seven books is that Voldemort is just a dude. 
right? He's, he's a guy that made some bad choices that had some, had some rough life circumstances that took him down this road. But at the end of the day, once you destroy the Horcruxes, he's just a body laying there on the floor like anyone else. I mean, I can pull the quote up, I'm sure, um, from the last chapter here. Um, and it just, it, cause it's, it's talking about how like it was such a, um, unremarkable like body. Tom Riddle hit the floor with a mundane finality, his body feeble and shrunken, the white hands empty, the snake-like face vacant and unknowing. Voldemort was dead, and Harry stood with two windows, staring down at his enemy's empty empty shell. Like, yeah. Like, it's so emphasizing the, like, mundane finality of death. Like, this wasn't Voldemort's whole thing. You know, he never wanted to die. He's got all these horcruxes, like, plans in place so he wouldn't have to die. Um yeah, you wanted him to die like a human. Exactly. And that sounds weird, but you wanted to like, like when he fell to his knees mm-hmm. and kind of acted like he was like starting to mm-hmm. lose it, I expected like a full drawn out, like we watched the light leave his eyes. Yeah. Right. But he and Bellatrix died like aliens from Marvel yeah, movies. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. I'm right. actually glad you brought that up because that may be the thing I was disappointed with from a cinematic standpoint mm-hmm. the most mm-hmm. was... I feel like there are things that you have creative license to use magic mm-hmm. to explain away, you know, like with, you know, I complained about the gargoyle thing. That's mm-hmm. it's, it's a magical castle. Yeah. So fine, <laughs> you know, yeah. drop some giant gargoyles, but like as far as ending those two characters, specifically Voldemort, mm-hmm. but to your point, I hadn't thought about that either. Mm-hmm. Bellatrix, like you need to see them die as finite, hu- finite humans. Yeah. And it was, Really disappointing to watch Voldemort just turn into confetti. Yeah. Yeah, it, it you know, minimizes the struggle that Harry has had. Like, because Harry is just a guy that we know is a dude. Like, he was just a kid who got bullied by his cousin, and he was the analog for us as we walked into this wizarding world. And, you know, you didn't know what was going on, but also neither does your protagonist. So that's yeah. why you got to learn all this stuff. And then at the end, to make it just seem like Molly was holding a bigger rocket launcher than Bellatrix, and so she exploded, and then they're like, yeah, we did it. Like That scene wasn't good. Yeah. And no. I was really looking forward to because that. Because it's the same thing. In the book, it's it's Bellatrix and Voldemort are the last two, and Bellatrix is dueling like Hermione, Ginny, and Luna, and she's just a little stronger than all three of them, and then Molly bumps them aside and takes it herself. But hundreds of people are watching, and like it has so much more emotional pathos. Like Everyone knows all the stuff the Weasley family's been through. They've had... Fred has died. George has been injured. Percy like got brainwashed for years. Like... Ginny's the only girl and she's so important to Molly. Like none, literally none of that other, like she shot one curse at Ginny and she was like, no, push her out of the way. Like we got the, not my daughter. Like we got that stuff, but it doesn't have like, it was just like a smiling, you know, Molly Weasley afterwards. And like, mm-hmm. you don't get, it was almost corny. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which sucked. Cause that it wasn't corny in the book. Right. It was a fist pumping moment. In yes. The book. Yeah. So, so it's between, that that finality stuff and like the lack of explanatory dialogue with the final duel it's those things and then like you said if we could have gotten some more boots on the ground camera action of these duels of the battle at hogwarts like the the war that's going on and how you know how p- these people putting their lives on the line like you see that scene where grayback is like eating lavender brown's neck like that's pretty affecting like hermione is like shook and like launches him off and launches him out the window and stuff. Can I get 20 seconds of what led up to that? Exactly. You can put 10 other people in there. It doesn't have to be that long. 
Can I get Seamus just like Conor McGregoring? Yeah, you know, throughout the yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, like there's there's pretty explicit dialogue that would have could have translated not even dialogue, just like descriptions of things could translate it directly into there. Like I said, the Trelawney stuff. Um, you've got Neville holding tentacled, like waving, like fangy plants and like dumping them on people. Like, yeah. how does that not translate to screen? There's yeah. a scene in the book where McGonagall just runs by, like there's no dialogue. Harry just watches her run down the hallway with a bunch of like desks, animated desks, like galloping behind her, which is a little more in line with how we've seen magic work. Mm-hmm. You know, like she's taking these 10 desks, she's lassoing them up. She's like making them her buddies. And like, there's no... There's no reason you couldn't have had that because I'm not saying just make the movie 10 hours. I'm saying you can cut out some of the super goofy stuff that they did instead. Like there's a bunch, like why not have Neville just slice off Nagini's head like she does in the book? What was wrong with that? Instead we, instead we get like Ron and Hermione looking around the corner. They're holding their fangs. Nagini's coming, try to stab her. We got, we got a bunch of that in those last couple minutes. And in the book, Neville, the, the hat catches on fire, which doesn't happen in the movie. He's like stunned right there and he heroically like pulls the sword out and makes the slash and stuff. Um, I will say this Neville's slashing. Mm-hmm. That the was slash good. Itself, yeah, that was good. Was cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause he, and, but he kind of saved Ron Hermione, which wasn't how it happened in the book. We didn't get Harry telling Neville, Hey, got to kill the snake. Um, you know, Ron Hermione know about it. And so Neville in the book, Neville did it because he knew it was an important thing. Whereas in the movie, he did it to protect Ron and Hermione. Small difference, but, like, I don't know why you have to change some of the things. And where did he get the sword? In the book, did he pull it? Out of the hat. And I don't, he didn't in the movie, right? In the movie, you see him holding the hat, and he, like, dusts it off right before Voldemort walks up. And so I guess he reaches into it and pulls it, but he's not wearing it. In the book, he's physically wearing it, so he feels the sword clunk down on his head, so he pulls the hat off and draws it out. So I don't. I mean, I couldn't tell you exactly mm-hmm. the beats of how it works of how he gets it, but it's just things like that that you're changing. You're not cutting time. You're still doing it, but you're doing it differently yeah. just to do it differently. And if it worked as an entertainment product, that's great. You're not wrong for liking the movie. Yeah, It's just tough for me, like I've said a million times, like this stuff is beyond an entertainment thing. It's like It's like important to me how these things play out because of like how integral, you know, how many times I've read these chapters and like how much I love them. Because I'm a, I'm a sucker for the Avengers Assemble, like all of my friends showed up to help me, like that kind of stuff. And you don't get Slughorn and Charlie Weasley, you know, running up over the hill, like in the book where they've got like everybody's family members and all the old Quidditch players. Like that's just one of those heartwarming moments. The house elves, that like creature comes out with all the house elves, they start hacking at people's ankles and stuff. Yeah, like yeah. I like, I would have loved to see Ray Fiennes, like that Voldemort guy, like the him realizing oh geez like we just had this group and that group and that group who i wasn't expecting to be part of this battle all coming at me like i'm scared and also upset about it like don't be afraid to show me that those emotions in him Mm -hmm. and not just make it a one-on-one silent no one around magic push with harry yeah there's no emotional stakes there yeah i i agree i think I was. I thought the the scene leading up to Voldemort's death was weird. Mm-hmm. Like how they decided to like dive through the air together, and mm-hmm. their heads became. I didn't understand what was happening there. No one does. I don't. There is no explanation, really. Mm-mm. Um. 
It was a use of CGI budget, I guess. Like, I don't know. I don't know. On a positive note, I thought mm-hmm. the Snape and McGonagall scene yeah. when Snape's trying to call out the oh, students mm-hmm. was really well done. Yeah, we didn't talk about any of that. That's a big difference. Like, we condensed four different book scenes into, let's just throw them all in the Great Hall. We'll have the confrontation. He'll see Harry. He'll run. Yeah. Um, I think if you're going to make an effort to combine things in an, in a time conservation, right. um, that was really well done. Yeah, and I can't argue with that. I mean, like I said, if if you if the movie could have been 10 hours long, I would have loved to get all those scenes, but... I understand those, and I don't think that it took away from the depth of the movie in a way I think some of the other things did. So, yeah, yeah I think that's good. There's something that we didn't at all talk about. Oh, we haven't talked about the Pensieve, um, the flashback, the Prince's Tale stuff, because you felt like that worked well for you. Yeah, I did like the Pensieve. I thought especially getting to see Snape like walk in and find Lily dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which canonically, uh, I don't know. Really? I'm not sure. I mean, Hagrid was supposed to be the one that... Because, like, am I supposed to be glad that Snape walked in and cradled her dead body while baby Harry Potter is in the crib crying? Like, that just makes Snape even more of a weird dude. Like, you got got to tend to this baby. Yeah, I mean, it was a little weird, but I also felt like it added... I don't know. I thought there was a show don't tell for how much he loves Lily. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of depth to that that I felt like maybe we didn't get from the book. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I understand... There was a trade-off there. Yeah, we cut a bunch of Petunia stuff. Which I was fine with. Yeah, we've been, we've been cutting Dursleys for a minute. Yeah. Like they haven't been meaningful since book three, or yeah. movie three, I mean. Which is fine. Yeah. So. You liked how the visualization of the memories worked, um, the swirling and some of the cuts in and out. Yeah, I thought the um, Lily and Snape as kids was done really well. Well casted. Really well casted. Yeah. Um, I think even, I think they could have spent a little more time on the Snape Dumbledore dialogue. I mean, mm-hmm. I think enough was there to they understand what was happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know. It was a cool. Uh, Alan Rickman got to like you got to yeah. see him step outside of the stoic Snape yeah. that you see throughout the entire series Absolutely. and like see him get a little more emotional over stuff mm-hmm. and um, so. I th- I don't know it. It was missing some stuff, but I liked it because of because it allowed Alan Rickman to bring emotion yeah. into Snape's character. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't I have a problem it. with any of it. I mean, it, yeah, it had to condense, it had to condense some of the things, you know, just from a time perspective. But yeah, not a lot of complaints about what it was able to get across overall yeah. from me for sure. So. Uh, we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit more about this movie uh, during our kind of series wrap-up muggies. You know, we can do some movie-specific stuff. We can do some overall podcast run stuff. Um, Want to try to kind of throw some more creative prompts and categories in there, like, you know, most annoying catchphrase that we adopted throughout the whole thing. <laughs> Maybe we should turn that one over to the yeah. voters only. Yeah, let them submit ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to kind of go back through the whole thing. Like, which was your favorite of the four places Braden lived during the run of this podcast? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's a fun one. Um, if we can get if we can get hand on the pod for that one, I'll I'll be happy. I can die happy at that point. Yeah. So, uh, appreciate you guys. Um, yeah, we want people to call in, Braden. Off the top of your head, you got a you got a phone number for me? It's been a minute. Nine seven eight nine seven eight seven six eight uh huh eight 
978 Potter Zero. Um, call me, beat me if you want to reach me on that. We'd love to hear your voicemail, uh, text messages. I think I actually, at the risk of just absolutely enraging Rachel even more about how cold the food is getting or whatever, I think Chad has actually texted in, oh, about how he uh, read some fanfic for the first time because he was like waiting for us. He's like, I haven't had any podcasts in my life, so I guess I'm going to have to dive into the fanfic. <laughs> Sorry, Chad. Uh, talked about you laying down an electric fence for Cooper. He used to work landscaping, and they used a trenching machine. Yep. So Definitely would recommend it. Should have just had Chad come up and help you lay your electric fence. Uh, as always, be more like Chad. Call in, uh, email us, text us. Let us know what your thoughts are. Shout out to anyone uh, that has re- relatively recently started listening. Fun to have you. It won't be recent by the time you've binged all of these. It'll have been like a year ago that you started listening, but... Um, shout out to Hannah and Rachel and George and Cooper for being there with us during the movie. Um, shout out to Jeremy and Jessica for being here with us now. We're going to go eat some barbecue chicken. Any uh, final shout outs for you, Braden? No, I just appreciate you and Rachel's hospitality, Jeremy and Jessica's hard work on making this sound making us sound remotely decent and uh, making the whole thing sound good. Yeah, so. I mean, we can leave in some of the... We're talking about... It's like an ambiance. Like, we're pretending that we're at a restaurant during the front <laughs> half of this. You can just hear a little bit of banter in the background. A yeah. lot of aluminum foil crinkling. I'm not going to say a little bit on that one, but... <laughs>